In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would all the children and teens up through the eighth grade please come forward? This side. There you go. No, not on my lap. Right here, right here on the floor. So I can see you. So I can see you. You want to see something? Watch. No, that was me. No, no, that was me. No, he can't even see me. He's getting older, so he can't see. So, um, this is a great holy day. Do you know what it is? The first reader, Mr. Leggett, he told us who? What's the name of this, this feast day today? New Year's. New Year's, okay. That's right, it is New Year's Day, isn't it? But it's also the feast of the holy People. name. The feast of the holy name, January the 1st. And when January the 1st falls on Sunday, we celebrate, it's a Lord's feast. So we celebrate the feast of the holy name. If it weren't January 1st today, we would be celebrating the second Sunday after Christmas, which it still is, right? the second Sunday after Christmas. And so we have special lessons today about the, the, about the holy name. The holy name of whom? Jesus. Jesus. That's a good answer for almost anything. <laughs> almost anything. Let me, and John's gospel says, in the beginning was the word. Anybody know who the word is? The Bible. Uh, yeah, but who? What, yeah, the Bible. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, who? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is a good answer for almost anything. That's right. <laughs> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And then later on it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, we're talking about the Word. We're talking about Jesus who was before everything, before anything was created. Through Him, everything was created. And then He comes down to become one of us, which we celebrated last week and through these 12 days of Christmas, this being the eighth day. We celebrate God coming down and Jesus being born. And then in Philippians, our second reading today, yeah, it says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the human form, being born in the human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now listen to this. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him... Jesus, the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Today we confess that Jesus is Lord. We, his holy name is precious. I'll tell you, one, I'll tell you a quick story. 
when Nicholas was born, um, how, many, how old are you? 38, 39? 40. 40? 39. Right after Nicholas was born, that means I was like 20 something, right? So um, I don't know what happened to me. I got scared uh, and, 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 and depressed. And it felt like everything was closing in on me. I was just really afraid. I got up and walked out on the porch at night and just seemed like everything was closing in. And I talked to my mom who, my mom is a saint, was a saint, is a saint. And I talked to my mom and she said, you know what might help if you, if you just say the name of Jesus over and over and over. And I did. I just said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And not immediately did things get better, but as time went on, as, and the more I said the name Jesus, I started coming out of all that fear and all of that loneliness and all of that depression because you know why there's power in the name of Jesus Penelope did you know that there's power in the name of Jesus whenever you're afraid whenever you're lonely whenever you're scared I want you to say just to yourself even just the name of Jesus 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 and Jesus will come Jesus is already with you, but he will come and be with you and help you through that. I promise you. Okay? So happy holy name of Jesus day. I'm glad you're all here today. So, uh, no, there's no, there's no children's chapel. So if you want to get a packet from Mr. Masterson over here, you can color and do puzzles and go back and sit with your parents or grandparents or friends or whoever. Thank you, time. As all the children grab a packet for themselves, I want to begin with a little story. The story involves high school Michael. In case you didn't go, I went to the Woodlands High School, which is just north of here, and I was in the orchestra. I played in the viola, and uh, one of the uh, things that I got to do while I was in the orchestra is uh, every once in a while they would get a smaller group of us to go perform at various venues across the Woodlands area, right? So this was back whenever, you know the big Woodlands Waterway Marriott that's right there on the waterway? It was like brand spanking new at the time. And so we were all really excited there's gonna be this Christmas party to go there and we were all getting ready. And normally whenever you perform at the Woodlands High School Orchestra, they give you a suit or like a tuxedo that you get at the beginning of the year that is yours to wear for the season. So anytime you perform, you put on your tuxedo. So I, being the good little rule follower that I was, put on my tuxedo to go prepare myself to go perform at this venue. Now, lo and behold, I get to the Woodlands Waterway Marriott and I look out amongst my fellow performers and guess what they weren't wearing? They were all wearing black. So I was left there with my little white, you know, it was a black coat, a little white shirt peeking out there like a snowflake. 
in the midst so much black. So this morning, whenever Father Stan and I were praying over the service and getting ready for the service, we were going over the readings for this morning, and he was describing all of the readings that is for the Feast of the Holy Name for this Sunday, and I was like, that's weird. Those are not the readings that you sent me to prepare my sermon on this morning. So, those are all wonderful readings, but just as today on this one white little snowflake amidst a sea of people who followed the rules, <laughs> we're going to be looking at Isaiah 61, which was not one of our readings this morning. So if you will open up your Bibles or grab a Bible from the P1 insert, maybe grab an electronic device that has a Bible on it, because we have not heard it yet, it's probably important for us to have it in front of us. We're going to be in Isaiah 61 this morning. Isaiah chapter 61. As you guys do turn to that, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Father Michael Schwant. I'm the Associate Rector and Youth Minister here at St. Timothy's Anglican Church, and I just want to welcome anyone who may be joining us for the first time this Sunday. And I want to draw your attention to in the lobby or the narthex of our building, we have a welcome desk that has lots of wonderful gifts that you are welcome to take home with you. Those are our gifts to you. Uh, but I want to draw your attention to a welcome packet that we have specifically that has lots of information about the church that you're more than welcome to hang on with you. If you have any additional questions, don't hesitate to come to myself, to any of the clergy or leadership here, and we will do our best to answer your question. And I want to ask everyone a question. That is, how has your year been? How's it been? Good? Bad? I don't know about you, but I kind of, whenever I'm in the new year, it's New Year's Day, right? I get kind of in a reflective mood and I look back on the previous couple of years and I have to admit, we've had some hard years, haven't we? As I was preparing for this sermon, I made a list of things that kind of came to my mind that made the last couple of years particularly difficult. Number one on my list was COVID. I don't know, I'm not trying to get into the politics of COVID, but baseline, we can say that COVID has been rather disruptive of our life, has it not been? And each time I feel like we're starting to get over COVID, COVID's like, no, I'm still here. I don't know about you all, but I look at the news and I also realize how politically divided, not just our country is, but the world right now. I learned, as I was doing a little bit of research, I learned that in Germany, there was a, a a plot to overthrow the government that was thwarted by the police there. Apparently, we're not unique in our political dividedness here in the United States. And in South America, I believe I was reading that some countries have had to suspend their constitution because there's like conflicts between Congress and their president. And I'm like, goodness gracious, what is happening to our world right now? Maybe in the last couple of years, you struggled with the death of a loved one. The holidays can exacerbate that feeling of loneliness that you have. And that part of you that's inside of you that know that they should still be here. Something in you knows that they should still be here. Maybe you have struggled financially these last couple of years. I don't know about you, but every time I get my groceries, I just swear that bill just gets a little bigger every week, doesn't it? Milk and eggs and butter, I mean, tell me. Where can I get cheap dairy products? If you know, please tell me. You read of all the conflict going on in our world right now. 
particularly in the Ukraine and elsewhere where there's this conflict and death and struggle and wars being fought. And so we look on New Year's Day and we look forward into 2023 and we're like, maybe I'm not excited. Maybe it's been a difficult couple of years for me. If that's where you are this morning, I have good news. I have good news for you this morning. What we're going to find in Isaiah 61 is a series of promises that Christ makes to us today that can lift us up and sustain us through the hard times of our lives. If you're sitting there in the pews this morning and you're thinking to yourself, Father Michael, that's all well and good, but I am doing pretty okay right now. I feel pretty good. My challenge to you this morning would be to examine why you feel good about this upcoming year. Maybe you've done well in your career. Maybe you've done well financially. Maybe your family has grown these last couple of years. Whatever the reason might be, I'm not saying that those are bad reasons why you should feel good going into 2023, but I would challenge you that Jesus Christ and the promises found in Isaiah 61 and throughout Scripture is a more firm foundation than your career, than your finances, than your family. As wonderful as all those things are, Christ is a more firm foundation. So I would challenge you to listen to the sermon this morning, to listen to Scripture in particular, and say, is perhaps Jesus Christ a better option to place my hope in? That's my challenge to you this morning. So we're going to be in Isaiah. If you haven't already, please turn there. I want to give us a little bit of background information about Isaiah. Isaiah is this wonderfully rich book, but it can be a little intimidating. It is a long book. It's also a prophetical book, which is a little bit more difficult to understand than, let's say, like a narrative or an epistle, like in the New Testament that we have. So I just want to give a quick little rundown about Isaiah. So Isaiah was written by... Isaiah. There's no surprise there, right? And you can generally break Isaiah up into three sections. Now, if you do a little bit of research into Isaiah, sometimes you may hear about certain biblical scholars that may not hold to a Christian faith will say, well, clearly that means it's written by three different authors. And I don't have time to get into it this morning, but just so you know, that, that actually generates more questions than it answers. It actually makes more sense for it to be Isaiah who wrote the book of Isaiah. So that's why you can break it up into three sections, all written by Isaiah. The first part, the first chapter 1 to about 30, 35, 40, we have prophetical warnings. So what has happened is that the people of Israel, or excuse me, the people of Israel, the people of God, the kingdom, the Davidic kingdom, has been broken into two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, made up of ten tribes of the original twelve, and then you have the southern kingdom of Judah, made up of two tribes, right? So that's been split. And so Isaiah is prophesying to the southern kingdom here. If you ever are studying prophets, it's often helpful to realize which of the two kingdoms they're prophesying to. A little fun Bible fact for you this morning. And so he's prophesying to them. He says, come back to the Lord. What Israel, excuse me, what Judah is doing up into this time is what they're doing is they're trying to put their trust in things other than God. 
They're trying to put their trust in how strong their army is or how strong their relationships are with other kingdoms at the time, with other gods, with other idols, with their wealth, with their family, whatever it might be. Does that sound familiar? And so what Isaiah is saying is like, come back to the Lord. Put your love and your trust and your hope back into God Almighty. That middle section of Isaiah that I referenced to, what it does is it points forward. It's a warning and he says, the northern kingdom at this point has been invaded. The northern kingdom has been driven into exile because they would not repent from God. And the Assyrians came in. And what the Assyrians would do in the ancient world, whether they invaded a country, is they would go in. They would take all of the cool stuff and all of the cool people, and then they would just steal it. So it was just gone. And so what Isaiah prophesies over the people of Judah, and he says, that's going to happen to you if you don't turn back, but it's going to be Babylon. Spoiler alert, Babylon does come. The people go into exile. But what I love about Isaiah, one of the many reasons why I love Isaiah, is after he gives that warning, he gives them hope. Chapters 40 through about 66 are full of these amazing promises of hope that come to a people who are in a difficult time right now, who are looking at the possibility of an exile. Think about the Jews and the people of Israel who were in exile, who read the book of Isaiah and talked about a Messiah who would come and would suffer for his people to set them free. Whenever you and I are in Holy Week, we draw on these verses all the time. And it ends with these promises of hope, a future hope about God will make everything wrong into right. So that's where we are right now. And so we're at the very end of Isaiah, right? And so we're in these promises of a future hope, and that's where we are right now. And I want to draw three things, three things that I want to draw from this passage of Isaiah. Those things, three, excuse me, those three things are, say that five times fast, what Jesus promises, how Jesus promises it, and why Jesus promises those things. What, how, and why. All right? So that's where we're going to be. J.R.R. Tolkien, to swerve a little bit, wrote a little book called The Lord of the Rings. Maybe you've heard it. It's a great book. There's a couple movies that came out. They won some Oscars. It's fine. There's a scene at the end of the book that doesn't come up in the movie that I think is one of the most beautiful passages ever written, in my opinion, but I'm biased to the Lord of the Rings. So this is at the point in the movies, if you watch the movies, you remember, you know, Frodo and Sam, they've thrown the ring into Mount Doom, spoiler alert. And the, 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 the volcano erupts and the lava's coming out and they're running out of the volcano and then the eagles come and bear them to Minas Tirith, right? We all are familiar with the scene that we've seen in the movie, right? And so this scene, in the movie what happens is Frodo wakes up and is confronted with Gandalf, who, in Frodo's mind, has been dead up until now, right? So he's confronted with, oh my gosh, you're alive, right? In the book, Sam actually wakes up first before Frodo. And Sam and Gandalf have this wonderful conversation first before Frodo wakes up. So I want to read to you that little passage from the Lord of the Rings. When Sam awoke, he found that he was lying on some soft bed. But over him gently swayed wide beechen boughs and through their young leaves sunlight glimmered, green and gold. 
All the air was full of a sweet mingled scent. He remembered the smell, the fragrance of Athelion. Bless me, he mused, how long have I been asleep? For the scent had borne him back to the day when he had lit his little fire under the sunny bank. And for the moment, all else between was out of waking memory. He stretched and drew a deep breath. Why, what a dream I've had, he muttered. I'm glad to be awake. He sat up, and then he saw that Frodo was lying beside him and sleeping peacefully, one hand behind his head and the other resting upon the coverlet. It was the right hand, and the third finger was missing. Full memory flooded back, and Sam cried aloud, It wasn't a dream, then where are we? And a voice spoke softly behind him, In the land of Athelion, and in the keeping of the king, and he awaits you. With that, Gandalf stood before him, robed in white, his beard now gleaming like pure snow in the twinkling of the leafy sunlight. Well, Master Samwise, how do you feel? He said. But Sam lay back and stared with open mouth, and for a moment, between bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. At last, he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? Now keep that last line in your mind. Keep that last line in your mind, and then let's go to Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has chosen me. He has commissioned to encourage the poor, to help the brokenhearted, to decree the release of captives and the freeing of prisoners, to announce the year when the Lord will show his favor, the day when our God will seek vengeance, and to console all who mourn, to strengthen those who mourn in Zion by giving them a turban instead of ashes, oil symbolizing joy instead of mourning, a garment symbolizing praise instead of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, trees planted by the Lord to reveal his splendor. They will rebuild the perpetual ruins and restore the places that were desolate. They will reestablish the ruined cities, the places that have been desolate since ancient times. Foreigners will take care of your sheep. Foreigners will work in your field and vineyards. You will be called the Lord's priests, servants of our God. You will enjoy the wealth of nations and boast about the riches to receive from them. Instead of shame, you will get a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will rejoice over the land they receive. Yes, they will possess a double portion in their land and experience lasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice and hate robbery and sin. I will repay them because of my faithfulness. I will make a permanent covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that the Lord has blessed them. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I will be overjoyed because of my God. For he clothes me in garments of deliverance. He puts on me a robe symbolizing vindication. I look like a bridegroom when he wears a priest as a turban would. I look like a bride when she puts on her jewelry. For just as the ground produces its crops against the garden yields its produce, so the sovereign Lord will cause deliverance to grow and give his people reason to praise him in the sight of all nations. The promises found in the book of Isaiah and the promises found throughout scripture and the promise that Jesus Christ extends to you this morning is that one day everything sad will come untrue. That's not to say that your life isn't hard now. That's not to say that you aren't currently struggling. But if you know that there will be a day without doubt, 
that Jesus Christ will come again and he will make every wrong that has been made right, does that not sustain you? If you know that the victory will be won one day, does that not give you hope to sustain the current struggles of your life? What does Jesus promise in Isaiah? He promises us a future hope that can sustain us through our current struggles. In theological terms, this is called the already but not yet. We already can tap into the power of the future hope found in Jesus Christ right now. That's a power you and I have at our disposal right now. Whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer and we get to that line on earth as it is in heaven, that's what we're doing. The hope of the future sustains us through the current struggles of our life. So what does Jesus promise to you and to I this morning? He promises us a future hope to sustain us through our current struggles. How does Jesus fulfill this promise, though? How does he go on accomplishing this, right? That's important to know. We know what Jesus' promise is us, but we want to know how he does that, right? We don't want to just assume this is some sort of just flippant promise that he makes to people just to make them feel better about themselves, right? We actually want to know how he accomplishes these things. I want you all, if you can, you don't have to, turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we're going to be in verse 17. So we're fast-forwarding to the New Testament, right? Jesus has been born. He's been living in his ministry. He is beginning his ministry. He's come back to his hometown of Nazareth, and he's in the synagogue, And as he is preaching and teaching and reading in the synagogue, we join him in verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the regaining of the sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on them. Then he began to tell them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled even as you heard it being read. You see, when Jesus Christ took on flesh, that part of our epistle lesson for us this morning, talking about how the word became flesh and dwelt among us, all those things that we know, that we celebrate during Christmas, what that means, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus Christ took on flesh so that he could experience all of the hardships of our life, so that whenever he says, I understand how you feel, he means it. He understands what it means to feel poor, he understands what it feels to mean sick, he understands what it means to be sad, he understands what it means to be persecuted for friends to reject him, for a following to reject him. He understands what it means to be falsely persecuted. He understands what it means to die, brothers and sisters. And so whenever Jesus Christ says that this scripture verse is being fulfilled, even as you heard it being read, we think that Jesus Christ understands the hardship that you're going through right now. And whenever he promises that one day he will make everything right, That is a promise that you can count on because he gets it. He took on flesh to identify with us. And to top it all off, going back to Isaiah 61, 
We read in verse 8, towards the bottom, he says, and I will make a permanent covenant with them. This promise that Christ gives you will last forever. That word covenant, what that means is often it's agreement between two parties, right? The one that you probably is easiest to remember is the Mosaic covenant, right? Where God gives the law to the people of Israel, they follow the law, and then God will be their God and will fight for them and go and win their battles and give them blessings and so on and so forth, right? That's the, 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 it's an agreement between two, two parties that if the people of Israel do one thing, then God will do another, right? With this covenant, with this everlasting covenant, this new covenant that you and I are living into today, what God has done is he's taken on both the obligation for himself and the promise extended to us, right? Jesus Christ fulfilled the law perfectly. He did everything on our behalf and he died for our sins on our behalf. And so the promise is a gift called grace that is extended to us. And with that gift, we get all of the benefits of these promises that we have here. So he accomplishes it. The reason why Jesus is able to offer us these promises, these gifts of a future hope, is because he came and dwelt among us. How did Jesus Christ accomplish these promises? He came and he dwelt among us to fulfill these scriptures. So what did Jesus promise? A future hope to sustain us through our current struggles? How did Jesus promises how did Jesus promise that? He promised it through his incarnation, through him taking on flesh. And finally, this is the easiest thing to answer, but is in many ways the most difficult to understand. Why did Jesus promise this? Why did Jesus promise us these things? The answer is that he loves us. Plain and simple. Jesus Christ came and took on flesh because he loves us. He loves us. God extends us these promises today because he loves us. And that love, and you really, if you really begin to try to fully understand the implications of what that love means in your life, that should then go out and cause you to love other people. If you have been loved, you then love in return. You love God. And you also love other people. His desires become your desires, right? How does this kind of work out? Let me give you an example. So uh, as many of you know, I am happily married. My wife, Rachel, and I are happily married. And one of the small things that I do in order to show her that I love her is uh, every morning um, I make her a cup of tea. My wife is a tea drinker. She drinks coffee, but she's primarily a tea drinker. And so every morning I make her a cup of tea and I bring it to her. Now, I do that because I love her. My love causes me to want to act and to serve her in a way that I know will bring her enjoyment, right? Now, if you want to respond to certain obligations you have in our life out of fear or out of a sense of obligation, you can do that, but that's not as sustainable as love. I've been in past relationships that have all ended in in spectacular fashion whenever I felt a sense of obligation And that was not a sense of love. Obviously, those relationships did not last. But the one based on love is one that will last. So why does Jesus promise us these things? It's because he loves us. And that love should then cause us to go out into a world and love it as we have been loved. The final verse in our chapter here this morning, verse 11, says, For just as the ground produces its crops... And a garden yields its produce, so the sovereign Lord will call deliverance to grow, 
and give his people reason to praise him in the sight of all the nations. In all the nations. So what does that mean for us here this morning? It could mean a variety of things, but I would challenge you to think maybe that means going and loving on the person in your life that God has put on your heart for a while. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend of yours. Whatever that person is, go love on that person. Love on that person and show them the love of Christ. Today, tomorrow, sometime this week, sometime in the near future, because Christ loves you and compels you to go and to share that love with others. So why does Jesus promise us these things? Because he loves us. What does Jesus promise? A future hope that helps us with our current struggles. How does Jesus promise us these things? He promises it through his incarnation and through the everlasting covenant he extends to us today, the new covenant. But why does Jesus promise us these things? Because he loves us. I want to end with a quote. There was a theologian a gentleman by the name of Karl Barth, who was a prolific writer in the early 20th century. And there's at one point whenever he uh, was being interviewed, I think it was Time Magazine was doing a series of interviews of influential people, and they were asking them, what is some of the most profound words you've heard, or is it like a song or something, you know, something you've read, or something that you know that has impacted your life dramatically? And Karl Barth is smarter than anybody in this room, I'm convinced, because he was just so prolific as a writer and a reader. You know, he had a great span of things to draw upon, right? And so when asked this question, do you want to know what Karl Barth said? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us here this morning to worship you. I pray that you will be with us all as we go forth from this place full of your love, that we will extend that love to others, to a world that is so desperate for that love. For those of us here this morning that may be struggling, that may be looking at the long dark of 2023 and saying, what, how can I get through this? I pray that the promises of future hope will buoy them through that. Where you will say, I understand how you feel, but just, just keep going because one day it's all going to be worth it. It's all going to be worth it. And everything sad will come untrue. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.